You're listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We will be joined by cancer experts to discuss blood cancer diagnosis, treatment, side effects management, and the importance of clinical trials. They will share their experience in treating patients and discuss strategies for optimal patient care. Let's get the conversation started. Welcome to Treating Blood Cancers, LLS podcast series for professionals. I'm Dr. Ken Miller. I'm a medical oncologist and an LLS volunteer. And I want to thank all of you so much for joining us on this episode. 32,000 Americans are diagnosed with myeloma each year and 13,000 die of this disease. The good news is that five-year survival has risen from under 30% to over 52% in the past 20 years. But some groups of patients are being left behind. Today, we're going to talk about cancer care disparities, and we'll be joined by Dr. Edith Mitchell, who's a clinical professor of medicine and medical oncology. She's also the director of the Center to Eliminate Cancer Disparities and the Associate Director of Diversity Affairs at the Sidney Kimmel Cancer Center at Jefferson University in Philadelphia. Edith, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here. I am also a volunteer of my time for this effort. So let's start off by talking about healthcare disparities as it relates to myeloma. How much of a problem are these healthcare disparities in this disease? So myeloma is probably one of the most disparate of all cancers. The incidence rates in the United States in African Americans, 2.5% of Caucasians and other racial and ethnic groups for which we collect data. Not only is the incidence rate higher, but mortality rates are approximately 2.6 times that of uh, Caucasians and others in the country. Moreover, the denominator of MGUS is much higher, so that the denominator in African-Americans are higher. And you know that approximately one to 2% of individuals with MGUS proliferate and therefore develop myeloma per year. So the denominator is larger, but African-Americans develop myeloma a younger age, more aggressive disease, and more poorly differentiated cytoplasmic features of the plasma cells. So we really have a disparate disease process that we have to pay close attention to. I want to go back to this issue of MGUS because it's something I did not know about at all. Much more common, is it more common to have an MGUS at a younger age? And the other question is why? It is more common to have MGUS at all ages. And in fact, pediatric populations have been surveyed and evaluated and there are 10-year-old kids who are African-American have features of MGUS. We don't know the etiology or the reason for that. And you were saying a couple minutes ago about how when African-Americans develop myeloma, it sounds like it's biologically different. Just I want to get your perspective. Do you think the factors that are causing people, African-Americans, to have it more commonly at a younger age are the same factors that are contributing to the biologic differences? I don't think we know yet. Certainly the National Cancer Institute is providing more funding for research. The AACR has developed a research committee for myeloma. 
so that there are lots of clinical investigations ongoing at this point, and we don't know. We do know that anemia has a higher prevalence in African Americans, and in many situations, especially for primary care physicians, when they see a patient with anemia and they're African American, it's like, oh, African Americans have a higher incidence of anemia. Yet, when you speak with patients with myeloma, many of them, and certainly a large percentage, have been followed with chronic anemia over a long period of time. So we don't know. We don't know the answers, and there are efforts to increase screening, to increase awareness of individuals who see patients with anemia, not only primary care physicians, but hematologists and others who may see these patients. So I think increasing awareness in the physician and clinician community, including uh, nurse practitioners, PAs, and others who provide primary care medicine to individuals of African-American descent. So I'd be interested in your clinical practice. What would be a common scenario, a common story that a patient would tell you, you know, looking back on their history of perhaps a diagnosis that could have been made earlier? Certainly presentation of a chronic anemia, fatigue, and those may be signs of many different disorders. Consequently, when myeloma is diagnosed, more patients are in advanced stages with bone disease, renal insufficiency, hypercalcemia, other late complications of the disease. So I end up seeing a lot of patients with late stage disease that have had some kind of medical care. So it's not like these individuals present with metastatic disease, having had no access to the medical care system. And consequently, many may have had some of the earlier findings of myeloma, and anemia is the most common. Let me ask you what may be an unfair question. If we were to look at median time from time of first symptom or first problem to diagnosis of myeloma, how big would that disparity be in African-Americans as opposed to uh, Caucasians? So I don't know that anyone has really collected accurate data, so I can't tell you data that has been published. But in my opinion, it's a longer it's a longer time, and many patients have had access to care, the diagnosis of anemia, three to five years before. And I wanted to chat with you also. We've talked a little bit about presentation and the fact that, unfortunately, these patients are coming with more advanced disease. How about when patients actually enter the system of treatment in oncology? Are there disparities there? Certainly, disparities exist in access to care cost of care and how costs are paid for in the healthcare systems. And we know that there are socioeconomic differences in African-Americans and Caucasians with more African-Americans having Medicaid as a payer for healthcare. And we all know that Medicaid varies tremendously from one state to the next. And patients who are receiving care on Medicaid tend to have more delays in consultations and other access to care issues. 
so that there are disparities both in terms of delay in consultations and diagnoses, as well as the ability of the patients to get into advanced care centers where they can get appropriate findings, so that there are multiple socioeconomic factors. But what we know from studies conducted by especially the ECOG-Akron Cancer Research Group show that if African Americans have access to care, interclinical trials, that they do just as well and in some cases better than other racial and ethnic groups. So access to care is a big entity. Entering clinical trials, another area, because when you think about the treatments that were available 20 years ago, two decades, yeah. we uh, have had multiple new drugs and some findings with even older drugs that have allowed patients to do better clinically. And of course, survival rates have improved significantly in the last two decades. And there are some minority groups, African-Americans being one, that many individuals are reluctant to participate in clinical trials. The Tuskegee issues always arise, but increasing access to clinical trials, I think, is a big part of it. And those African-Americans that have access to care participate in National Cancer Institute trials, as well as other clinical trials, have better response rates and therefore uh, better survival rates from this disease. So you talked about advanced care settings. I mean, uh, patients going to centers that have clinical trials or going to centers of, you know, really centers of excellence. What are some of the barriers? I'd love for you to share with us. What are some of the barriers for practical ones, emotional ones, social ones that prevent that from happening? So there are a lot of socioeconomic factors contributing. For example, your institution and my institution are located in center cities, large center cities, mm-hmm. and consequently transportation to reach our centers, having to take off from their usual jobs may be an issue for many. When they have to take a day off work, it means a day without pay. Mm -hmm. And consequently, there can be family issues. Having to take a bus. I have a patient who takes three different buses to get to my office. She is very adamant about it. And she always comes. But she tells me that she leaves home at 5 o'clock in the morning, gets one bus, transfers to another, and then takes a third to get to Jefferson. That's an inconvenience. That's a lot of inconvenience. So I think many of the programs that the National Cancer Institute has, such as the NCOR and others, where there are community practices that are participating in the NCI clinical trials. So I think the efforts that we can make in our large university uh, and NCI-designated cancer centers can do is to work with the community to make available those clinical trials, and then to develop communications with the primary care physicians and offices in the catchment area, and thus individuals have better access because physician communication can therefore allow for easier consultations for patients. 
So I think that there are a number of issues that we can do to make a 360 degree care for patients. That is communicating with the community and therefore having better catchment and uh, community engagement so that the primary care physicians have access to the centers of excellence, better communications with community organizations so that there are more leaders, not only in the African-American community, but in the Latino and Hispanic community also, so that there are communication networks that are open and clinicians have access to each other for referrals. So we've talked some about primary care physicians and what they can do and also what what information they need and, and hopefully can get. How about oncologists? What can or should we oncologists, hematologists do perhaps differently to improve the situation? So certainly it can be related to all of the practitioners who take care of these patients. Consequently, for hematologists, oncologists, because of the new drug developments and the new developments that allow for patients to have improvement in care, we can communicate one, but we can also participate in NCI clinical trials as well as pharma-based trials so that there are trials available for these patients and consequently that's one effort. Another is to not assume that Black patients don't want to participate in clinical trials. They Mm -hmm. actually do. They want access, but we need to not make assumptions based on the patient's appearance, physical appearance, and invite patients, give them information about clinical trials, and develop a bond with the patient so that they are likely to participate in clinical trials and provide information. There are now genomics that help us define myeloma into groups. It's not just one patient population group. And for many minority populations, if you mention the G word, whether it's genetic, genomic, or whatever, there is a tendency to be reluctant to participate, but in defining what we need for patients. So patient education, very, very important. You know, I want to go back to that, talking about the G word, but so let me ask you, how, what is a sensitive way, culturally and personally sensitive way, to bring up the topic of clinical trials and also clinical trials that, that have to do with the G word, whether it be, again, genomics or genetics? Sure. So many organizations, including the NCI, have developed educational materials. So I say download those publications and utilize them. The Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group, some years ago, defined and developed a brochure for clinical trials for African-American patients. The brochure has appropriate colors and so forth. The same publication was translated into Spanish and has colors that are appropriate for the population. We had patient involvement in developing those materials and consequently utilizing materials that we have available. And what I do with patients is explain it as a fingerprint. And everybody's fingerprint is different. Consequently, genomic profiling identifies the fingerprints of tumors. And therefore, they're all different. 
and we would want to know yours because now there are targeted medications that address specific genomic profiles. So that's how I explain it usually. And it is very rare that I have a patient to reject having their tumor profile. Yeah. Yeah. So by the way, thank you. I, For me personally, hearing the term fingerprinting is excellent. I haven't heard it before. So thank you very much. <laughs> well, That's thank great. you. Let's talk a little bit more about healthcare outcomes. We just started a new decade. It's 2020. Five-year survival, which is something that we use as a landmark. But do you get a sense, whether perhaps you may have the data or just your sense of it, but, but five-year survival in a Caucasian group versus a African-American group for people of color, how big is the disparity now? So we can sort of use this as a point in time. So for myeloma, the mortality rate is still approximately 2.6 times that of other racial and uh, ethnic groups. And consequently, I think it's important that we all recognize that and try to get the patients into care programs that will give the patients the best opportunity for a very good and long outcome. I'm actually writing a paper now on 2020 vision for disparities in cancer. So you bring up a topic and I think it's something to focus on. So I'm doing this review, 2020 vision. And I thought 2020 vision would be a nice topic. So we hope to have some of the additional information. Also, we're working with groups and research. For example, the All of Us program from NIH might allow for early diagnosis of many individuals. So we are working with churches and other community groups to increase the knowledge and perception of genomic profiling and encouraging participation of individuals from minority groups into all of us. And at this time, the percentage of minority populations participating in all of us exceeds 50% of the patients accrued to the program already. If you would, for me and for the listening audience, what is All of Us? So All of Us is an NIH-funded and supported program that allows well individuals. They don't have to have a disease process. They don't have to have cancer or any other disease process where they can participate in by going to allofus.gov, getting the information, and there are methods of participation where you can get information, uh, give consent online, and provide the specimen through a commercial laboratory. The information is given back to the patient, and I shouldn't say patient, to the individual, because some of the individuals participating in all of us may have no illness, no disease process that they are aware of, but it can give preliminary information regarding disease processes, which they may have or may be at risk for based on their genetic makeup. So it's a great program. It is expected to accrue more than 1 million individuals, and it will be available for the patient information. The individual can receive their own information as well as there are biological specimen available for our researchers. So I think it's a great program, and therefore we should encourage knowledge and participation. 
Very good. So we're going to close in a couple minutes, but I, so I've got three questions for you, three, three topics. The first is if you can give me a couple bullet points that we all can remember. Primary care physicians, what can they do to help change these outcomes? So primary care physicians, first of all, can evaluate patients for anemia, but consider myeloma as a cause for anemia. And therefore, if they don't have access to the diagnostic tools, obtain consultations from hematologists and oncologists. So that's one thing we can do to help identify and screen anemia earlier so that we may find patients with not only myeloma, but with other disease processes where we can have earlier intervention with better ultimate outcomes. Same question. Question number two, how about oncologists? One or two bullet points for the hematologist oncologist. So for hematologist oncologists, seeing patients with myeloma, it is so important that they involve these patients in clinical trials. They can go to clinicaltrials.gov or clinical trials from other organizations, IMF, LLS, MMRF, all of these foundations and care centers have clinical trials available and can give patients information that will allow them to understand not only the research process, but the specific research protocols that are available. And finally, let's talk about patients. What can patients diagnosed with multiple myeloma do, both in underserved groups and in non-underserved groups? What can they do for themselves? So for patients, I think it's very important to first get an advocate, whether it's someone in your family, a good friend, any confidant that can help you sort through the information and help understand and help collect information. Many of our disease-oriented groups and foundations have a web page for patients. So therefore, accessing that information, reading it, and being a proponent for yourself, collecting that information, and then finding out where there are centers of excellence where you can have access to care. The next thing is patients have to work with their insurance companies and payers to make sure that there is payment for those entities and for myeloma care. And then accessing other organizations and foundations that might allow for assistance. So having a patient navigator or someone from the insurance company or a nurse or other navigator who can help them with other costs. So for example, there may be costs for transportation that some organizations offer patients. So getting access to that information. Also asking their physicians and clinical staff questions that are important for their individual care. For the hematologists and oncologists that attending the resources and the meetings that ASCO and ASH have for myeloma, as well as AACR, all of these professional organizations now have special events and special research programs for myeloma, and therefore accessing the information that's available from ASH ASCO and AACR are also very, very important. Yeah, good point. 
So let me say personally, this has been a very, very interesting discussion today about disparities in the treatment of patients with myeloma and then the diagnosis, but also more broadly into cancer care disparities. And so very illuminating for me and hopefully for our listeners too. I want to say it's been a pleasure. We've had Dr. Edith Mitchell, who's a clinical professor of medicine and medical oncology and the associate director of diversity affairs at the Cindy Kimmel Cancer Center at Jefferson in Philadelphia. Edith, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. And thank you, Ken, for your kindness and your observations and moderation of the program today. Thank you. For additional myeloma resources, please be sure to check out the LLS webpage, www.lls.org forward slash myeloma. For information on the LLS Myeloma Link Program, a program connecting African-American communities to free information and support, please visit www.lls.org forward slash myeloma link. And for a listing of our continuing education activities and healthcare professional resources, please visit www.lls.org forward slash CE. Also, for any help or questions for your patients, if you'd like to refer a patient, please contact our Information Resource Center by calling 800-955-4572. Information specialists provide personalized one-on-one support to help patients learn about their disease, treatment, financial, and other resources. And I just want to say personally, there is a wonderful staff of people to contact, including nurse navigators with a lot of expertise. And this is Dr. Ken Miller. Please want to thank all of you for joining us today for this LLS podcast. Today, we talked about healthcare disparities, cancer care disparities, and multiple myeloma. Thanks for listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We can be found on iTunes and other podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.treatingbloodcancers.org and provide your suggestions for future topics. Visit our archive section on our website for other great podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and on Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And access our professional continuing education activities by visiting lls.org CE. Let's keep the conversation going. Until next time.